Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and thank you for joining us for another episode of Fighting on Film. This week we are taking a look at the brand new Kingsman film, uh, part of the Kingsman universe uh, that evolved from a comic book series into some quite successful films. And this week we're looking at the prequel, which came out in December. And we thought a slightly lighter film uh, would be a good option for, for this week in light of current events and uh, the ongoing situation in Ukraine. We send our thoughts out to everyone in Ukraine at the moment. First off, the plot of the film. So spoilers, if you haven't seen it already, you can either join us for a spoiler review or you can head off and watch the film and then come back later. But the film, as I mentioned, is a prequel and it looks at the origins of the Kingsman uh, spy agency, as it were. And uh, it traces the Duke of Oxford's um, experiences during World War One and how he is instrumental in... Um, basically saving the world and ending the war yeah the film weaves in a lot of the the current events of the period and some interesting plot points in it we'll talk about that a little bit more later on in, in some places it's quite clever in others it's a little bit more labored it takes us through all four years of, of the first world war in a sort, sort yep. of uh, truncated form we see ourselves travel to um to russia the western front and into the alps as well yeah, it's like a proper hybrid, isn't it? Like I was mm. struggling to sort of pin it down for a genre. It's almost it's like a spy adventure war hybrid. Indiana Jonesy at points as well with like mm. the traveling aspect. It's quite a mad cap little adventure that that weaves in some, as Matt said, weaves in some really interesting history. The cast is absolutely huge on this one. It's a big one, and there's there's a lot of people in there. 
yeah so some unfortunately some actors i haven't written a, a, a sort of in-depth bio about just because we'd be here all day but to run you through the top build casts we have our, our main character well our main top billing is uh, ralph fines uh, who plays orlando oxford uh, he's obviously perhaps best well known for playing Eamon Goth in Schindler's List. Um, and he played uh, Count Almacy in The English Patient. And he's also very well known for playing Voldemort in the Harry Potter franchise. He's one of those really quintessential British actors, you know. Up and he's Q in the, in the recent Daniel Craig Bond movies. Q in the recent Bond movies. Yeah, he seems to be everywhere. He's had a right career resurgence in the last five years or so, mm. um, I think. And we have uh, Harris Dickinson playing Conrad Oxford, his son, in the movie. He's actually set to play Dickie Attenborough in the upcoming Netflix film, See How They Run. Oh, really? Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't been able to find out whether the character is called Dickie Attenborough or whether he's actually playing Richard Attenborough himself. But it's a movie. Oh. It's going to be a movie about a failed movie. So perhaps... Okay. It's very likely then, yeah. Yeah, it's like a crime caper, so perhaps he does play him. But he's uh, he one of his early roles. He's, he's only had a few roles, this chap. He's, he's quite new to the game. Um, and one of his early roles was a short film called Battle Lines that was set in the First World War. So he has previous in the genre. Then we have uh, Gemma Arterton. She plays Polly, who is um, right-hand woman. She's his nanny, isn't isn't she? Um, she's the nanny, but she's really... Sort head of, of the household type thing. Yeah, but she ties it all together. She's like more than that. Is it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's sort of like a right-hand woman, shall we say, to um, to Orlando Oxford. Uh, but she played the lead in the 2016 romantic war drama Their Finest um, with uh, Bill Nye and Sam Caflin. And I really like that movie. Have you seen that one, Matt? I, I've seen the I've seen the trailer and I've seen a bit of it. It seems it's like a really, really interesting premise. Yeah, I think we'll have to do it on the show because it, it is about... I think it will fit us quite well from what I know about, yeah. The, the plot is them making like a Ministry of Information, Miss Grant goes to the door type film. So <laughs> I, really, I really do think we'll have to cover it at some point. Moving on. Uh, we have Jijmon uh, Honzu, I think I'm butchering that name, um, and he plays Shola. Uh, he's a Beninese actor, really well known these days for playing Korath in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, Gladiator in 2001 as Juba, and he was Solomon Vandy in Blood Diamond. Really recognisable, mate. Really I, I recognizable. love him in this. He's, I don't think I've ever seen yeah. him in a film that I, you know, I didn't enjoy him in. I, no, he's I think he's been money. really solid throughout, yeah. He's always great. And then we have Tom Hollander playing a triple role. Now he's playing King George, Kaiser Wilhelm and Tsar Nicholas all at the same time. He's a British actor. He played uh, Colonel Heinz Brandt in Valkyrie in 2008. And he's well known in the UK um, for his TV work, which includes the sitcom Rev, which he won a BAFTA for. And he's playing Major Dolby in the upcoming Ipcrest Files series. He is. Yeah. Looking great, that one. This is a really long cast <laughs> section this week. Then we have Rhys Ifans playing Grigory Rasputin. He's so he's so good in it. Isn't he scene stealing? He's having so much fun with it in this film. It's such an Ifansy role. He's, he really gets into the character and he, he plays him so well. You wouldn't know he was Welsh. Um, you wouldn't even know it was Rhys Ifans, if I'm honest. No, it's um, true. Is that good? Uh, he's obviously a Welsh actor. He's known for playing uh, Dr. Kurt Connors or Lizard in the in the amazing Spider-Man films. And he was also spiking Notting Hill. That's two roles for him you might know him from. Uh, then we have Matthew Good, who plays Captain Morton. Um, spoiler alert. And he plays the shepherd, the big, bad, evil enemy. The antagonist, yes. The ant- main antagonist. He played Osmidas in The Watchmen. And he also played Hugh Alexander in The Imitation Game. And then we have Charles Dance, Kit- Lord Kitchener. 
Uh, he's obviously known for playing Twin Lannister in Game of Thrones, and he was also in The Imitation Game with Matthew Good as Commander Deniston. He's, he's been in so many things over the years. Yeah, so many things. Alien 3 is what I remember him from. The best Aliens film, said no one. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not brilliant, is it? But we have so, so many like smaller roles as well. We've got Joel Bassman as Gavrilo Princip. We've got Daniel Brühl playing Eric Jan Housen. Alison Stedman turns up at one point playing. She a, does, a, yeah, as one of the for, um, for like yeah, two the, seconds. The ladies in waiting, yeah, it's playing Matt. a maid, yeah. Um, it's just there's so many. We'd be here all day, but that's your cast, and it is jam packed, and everyone is on their A game. There's no bad performances. No, it's really well acted throughout. I thought, and even those small roles, it's nice to see familiar faces. It's yeah. It's a lot like, you know, in the 50s, you'd see a lot of familiar faces in, in, in British films over and over again doing similar or different roles, etc. And it's yeah. the same thing in this sort of film as well, I think. It's that ensemble, isn't it? And it works really mm. well. So, Matt, I think you're doing a production this week. That's right. Apparently, the film's grossed $125 million, uh, at the box office uh, with a $100 million budget. And it was one of those slower films that got sort of stuck in that bubble of their release date being moved forward and forward and forward mm. due to COVID. And then when it finally did release in December, did fairly well. And now it's streaming out on, I think, Disney Plus in the UK, might be elsewhere uh, around the world. And uh, as I said in the the uh, the introduction, it's it's based on the, the Secret Service comic book series by Mark Miller and, and David Gibbons, which the original Two Kingsman films with Colin Firth were adapted from. It's within that same cinematic universe that Matthew Vaughan created with those first two films, but it's a prequel. It was written by Vaughan and Carl uh, Gudjusek, uh, who who wrote the script, and it was filmed uh, predominantly in in England and in Italy. Uh, a lot of the interior stuff was done at Long Cross Studios in in Surrey, and then there was a slew of location filming done across across Italy. It was distributed by uh, 20th Century Fox, as I mentioned, directed by Vaughan. Cinematography was by Ben Davis, although uh, he wasn't available for some uh, of the reshoots. Uh, so there was uh, a few production changes made there. The armourers were um, Bapti, so you know you're getting a good arms film when it comes to quality Bapti. these days. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And we, we've got a jam-packed Ali Tally to talk about later on. Isn't it just? Fines was an executive producer and the music was by uh, Matthew Moggerson and Dominic Lewis. And mm. there's some really interesting inclusions, some uh, orchestral music, some classical music, nods back to the earlier Kingsman films um, yeah. that, that, that are slotted in quite nicely. It's got a very Bondy type soundtrack, isn't it, as well? Mm, yeah, there's, there's like a classic Bond sort of, sort of soft orchestral motifs yeah. in there, isn't there, at times? Very. Um, then in terms of military advisors, we've got Andrew Robert Shaw, um, who has worked on a, a number of things, including 1917 most recently, perhaps. Yeah, we're, we're working on getting him on, aren't we, Andy? We're, we're, we're in email with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah we mm. are. Freddie Kemp was the other military advisor. It looks like he did some of the drill work. Um, this is actually his first major movie credit, um, mm. but he has done some work on the Netflix series Sex Education. Okay. Um, one of the students in that was sent off to a military boarding school and there was some marching scenes so i assume that freddie was involved in those costumes were by alex fordham um who'd worked on foils war game of thrones and and the crown some Mm. interesting choices generally quite good actually i thought um we'll talk more about the uniforms later um and that about rounds us up for our production side of things you know you know what you're getting with kingsman there's a very 
bespoke style, shall we say, in the editing, yeah, and yeah. the pacing. I mean, you know, it's got everyone remembers that fast um, edited uh, fight scene in the church. It's what everyone always thinks of and when they think that, of Kingsman. That blew me away when I first saw it. That was insane. It's really great. And you get a lot of them in this movie. In terms of all three films, I think for me, this is is my second favourite out of the three. I think the second film in the franchise was a little bit weak. Didn't really like the plot points it was hitting. Didn't really work for me. I'm with you there. Yeah. Really like the first one. Mm. The second one just didn't quite click for me. But I thought this was interesting enough in premise production and the performances that it, it kind of it really lifted it. I mean, I'm probably going a bit harsher. I liked the first one because it was like a Bond pastiche. Loved it. Great. Second mm. one fell flat for me. Didn't really enjoy it. This film, although it's better, I still don't think it's elevated above how I feel about the second one. So I would say really? it's like a pyramid for me. I'd put Kingsman at the top and I just put these two sort of That's at the fair. same level. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate more later on. But maybe we should just get into the alley tally because there's so much to cover and it'll be good there for There is. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. Ali Tally this week. I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's set in like from 1902 to about 1919, we assume. There's just so much in there, but also because it's in its own universe, there's all these little nods to the Kingsman franchise that come through really strong. There is, yeah. So what's your what's your Ali picks first, Matt? It's tricky. It's really tricky. I I really liked Polly's um, P14 Enfield at the end where she's sniping the the shepherd's men. And that's that's a P14 with uh, an American Warner Swayze uh, 1913 musket sight and then slotted in with a, with a longer, um, I, I think it's a World War II American scope. I'm not sure. Right. I think what they've done there is there's been a little bit of, of prop work and it's all, all uh, coloured brass, whereas the, the World War II scope wasn't. But it, it looks really, it does. It's very steampunk and it, and it looks it looks quite good and it, it fits in with the aesthetic well. It does. There's lots of cool stuff in this. And it was really hard to pick. So I, I, I'll i throw it over to you and then we'll come back. Okay, we'll bounce off each other. So my, my main pick is Ranalph, is it Rafe Ralph. Fiennes? Yeah, Ralph. Rafe. Ralph. I don't I'm know. Just, it just reminds me of, it just reminds me of the Peter Serafinowicz sketch. He's like, it's Rafe, it's Rafe. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> it sounds like Ralph, but people call me Ralph. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, that sketch. Um, no, but it's his pistol. So he has a Steyr 1912 pistol, just like an early semi-automatic pistol. It but is, it's yeah. got this beautiful little very pistol flare launcher built in. So it's like the pist- the Tokarev that they use in the Kingsman movies. Mm. That's such an elegant choice as well. I, I love that from the first films. It's beautiful, And this it? is such a nice spiritual nod ancestor to it yeah it works it looks great um finds is doing really finds is really well weapons trained i must admit in this movie he mm. looks great with the gun um and he just yeah it's just so it's just so nice to see some like a gunsmith or a prop designer really think about the origins of that weapon would, yeah if baptiste put that together they did an amazing job and we actually see the flare gun used which is nice it's not just there for their sake what disappointed me about that was though that we don't get to see finds stripper clip loading the 1912 yeah because it would have been nice one one thing that um isn't obvious in the film is that the the style 1912 isn't actually magazine fed so it has a fixed box magazine in the, in the grip but it's it's fed from stripper clips from the top like a rifle 
Um, mm. It's it's part of that generation of early self-loading pistols where they were working out what worked, what didn't, lots of crazy ideas. But it would have been really cool. So there was a bit in the in the final fight scene where he kneels down behind the table. And I thought he's going to whip a, a stripper clip out here and load, but he didn't. I was like, oh, oh no, come we don't on. get that lucky. We don't get it. But there's a there's some other great little pistols in this movie that you rarely see. So there's a Webley and Scott Mark One semi-automatic yes. pistol. It was racking my brains. I don't think I've seen. It. I know there's a couple in Peaky Blinders. I think did research probably. probably. Yeah, that would that would make sense for Peaky Blinders. I've never seen one in a movie. It becomes a, a, a focal point and. Mm. In the fight scene with Rasputin, I think he puts his thumb over the, the hammer to stop the, to stop the hammer it. hitting the striker. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, he's like, shoot me. He's <laughs> just like, it's comes so, over it. Yeah. in that is, is brilliant. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's so interesting to see that little choice. It's, mm-hmm. it's a perfect weapon for carrying in a, in a situation like Concealed. that where you don't want people yeah. to know you have a weapon. Yeah, and there's... It's um, so small. Polly, we think, has a bulldog Webley, but we can't be sure... Mm. Um, we wish we want to think she has one because it's a really nice inclusion. Yes, yeah. I, I haven't had. I didn't have a chance to look close enough at the scene to be honest. It's quite distant as well. It could be a chopped down. I thought it might have been a chopped down Schofield, but okay. maybe not. It, it's yeah, definitely. It it looks like it could be something old west or it could be something British service. Mm. I'm not 100 percent sure. I was banking on Webley Bulldog. You know, we'll see. That, that would make sense. That, that mm. would fit the period fairly well. Yep. Uh, and then obviously, because it's a First World War, you have a lot of First World War British Army weapons in there. You've got SMLEs, yep. MP18s, Vickers guns, Lewis guns. MP18s shouldn't have been in there. No, not really. But that okay. trench. So the, the the trench fight where it goes into no man's land to retrieve the the, the message from the spy. Yep. I think that's set in 1917, isn't it? I think it could be 1918. I don't know. I think it's I, their own. It's their own universe. It is. So it could From be whatever the f- fucking year they well, want. They, they they stick to everything. They stick to that timeline so rigidly elsewhere. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um. So I assume it's the same general timeline. Um. Mm. But it, it just the way the film flows and the events that they're they're jumping off. They're talking about getting Russia out of the war. So that's nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Zimmerman telegram is actually earlier than that it's 1916 so it, it, it's, it's kind of it, the shop yeah yeah and it's kind of pulling you away from 1918 which is when the the, the um the mp18 would have been first seen mm. in the field i found it really hard to to one ignore the timeline but then not ignore the yes. timeline i found it really difficult i was yeah like, i mean i'm sure we'll talk more about all the different historical yeah. points it tries to hit along the way but they couldn't resist hitting that stormtrooper vibe no, and that, the stormtrooper concept was there in 1917 yes um and the 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 style helms and some of the kit was there and that was that's all correct mm. but mp18 not quite right yeah. but it doesn't matter because it doesn't play a huge role no it doesn't you don't see it fired but then they have some lovely like trench fighting weapons in that sequence you've got the the sort of armored oh, the knife gauntlet yes knife gauntlet. The gauntlet knife oh, yeah yeah the some says it's like a sledgehammer someone's got a club some guys got like trench fighting knives some guys got their bayonets it's a really not it's a it's a great little sequence yeah the the, the brits are underarmed in that scene i think they, they really are they really they weren't expecting a, a sledgehammer but I, I mean i looked into the knife gauntlet because there's that famous photograph of a guy posing with it and a pair of um experimental uh visor and a helmet mm. um the only the only surviving example of that that I could find was actually it's 
There's one in the Imperial War Museum's collection. Okay. And they that have it down one. labeled from 1920 as German question mark. Mm. And then there's another entry for it later on that says Anglo-French. So not entirely clear where the gauntlet knife comes from. Interesting. So it could have been German or it could have been British. Mm. But in the film, German no. chap slips it on and it's a very, that's a terrifying moment that because really you looks... know you're going to have to fight hand to hand with these guys. Yeah. And then he pulls out this gauntlet and just slips on. Oh, it, it, it's like I don't face Man, anyone with one of those. You know, in like the Iron Man movies where he puts on the gauntlet, it reminded yeah. me of that. It's like, I was like, fucking hell, this guy's going to go mad, you know, but yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. But there is one thing that I cannot abide that this movie did. And it seems to be a trend with First World War movies. And I don't know how you oh, feel God, about did, it, Oh, God, did they put the thing on the back of the knapsack again, Rob? They did the fucking gas mask case on the on the top of the small pack behind your head. No. And it wasn't just one movie. It just wasn't just one person that did it. It was like three or four lads in that trench. And I don't know where that's come from. It started in 1970, the, the film 1917. Yeah. The two main characters did it. it. If it had started in 1917, that would be fine. Yeah. And, and it, I could The film 1917. <laughs> I abided it a little bit in 17, but it always niggled. And then now I think I've seen it in a couple of other First World War things. And I'm like, mm. where's this come from? Because it's the worst place to wear your SD gas mask because you can't get it on. Yeah. It, it, if you know, and if you pull it over to the front after you've done that, you have to have the strap so long to get it behind you that it would just fall and it would be useless. You have yeah. it sitting just above your chin or just below your chin, so you can wear it in a in a in a, in a pinch. Mm. So it just annoys me. I know Taff has um done done a bit of a thread on it a few weeks ago. Taff Gillingham. Um, so I'll, I'll try and dig that up or I'll ask Taff about it maybe. Um, but yeah, it just annoys me because I don't know where it's come from. I don't know who's telling people to do it or what their basis for it is um i can understand if you're marching from the rear area you might have done it for it to be comfortable when you're wearing out webbing there's a big gap for it where it goes anyway like in between your chest so yeah it's just it's and, just and guys things. used to slip stuff into them didn't they you know, yeah as well you know like putting your like fags in, in there and or stuff. something yeah yeah it's just cigarettes for american listeners yeah yeah um, um it just annoyed me that's all <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I understand what you mean. I, I, there was a couple of bits that there's a Sandhurst passing out parade where they're all in 08 webbing, but they're wearing sort of pseudo um, officers, officers uniforms, field dress. Yeah, that was weird. Uniforms. And it, it just doesn't look right at all because they've got ties on and it just doesn't yeah. look right. And you had that sort of thing where they go like British Army HQ and it seemed like the entire BEF was <laughs> camped out in front of this little chateau, which yeah. was quite fun. Yeah. Oh, and then um, did you. Did you notice the um, when they're covering the guy trying to get into the trench um, in the daytime? Did you notice when they were all shooting? There's one poor lad that had a jam in his SMLE. No, I didn't. There's <laughs> a lad like right at the right at the edge of the shot, and as they pan up to show the lads shooting and firing, he's trying to work the bolt like mad to try and get this to try and get this round out. And I was like. Sure, they cut that, but it was quite funny. Nice little inclusion. I, I love watching. Yeah, I, I love looking out for things. It would have like happened that. in reality, wouldn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just love it when they keep it in because it, it it's just a nice little thing. You know, it makes it more a bit more realistic. I didn't notice that. That's a good spot. It was good. No? Um, some other things I noticed. Um, you mentioned the vicar's gun. Uh, yep. The chap's not holding the spay grips right. Rich will be, be annoyed. Um, exactly. Um, the the B two uh, C. Uh, biplane really nice really cool actually to see one of those um 
used at the end of the film in um, Oxford's Airborne Assault, somehow more successful than uh, Russia's recent efforts. Um, mm. And he, uh, he has to cut himself out of the wing and uh, he's spun around quite a bit. Yeah, he does um, Ralph Fiennes' surprised face in that, which I quite enjoy. Does. That, is, that is classic surprise face. <laughs> yeah. Also, Fiennes' oh my god, I didn't die face is, is peak in this film. <laughs> yeah, like so it, the bit yeah. where he's he goes, he's looking at that uh, mountain goat that's somehow parkouring its way up the, <laughs> the mountainside. Um, and he goes, oh, I'll try that. And then he does. And, and his, his reaction face to him not dying is is. It's pure class. It's really um, good. Well, yeah, so the, the B uh, to C biplane was a really nice to see. Um, apparently, they made a few models of that for the film. Mm. Um, I saw one. Probably on it? the blue screen stage. There's a NAM, open stuff. National Army Museum exhibition that you showed me. And I think there was one of them there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then I think one of the things I really liked was that they got um, Princip's FM Model 1910. Yeah, that was nice to see. Yeah, yeah, and I liked. I really like. I know we're we're, we're digressing a little bit, but it is yeah, within the realms of the alley tally. Um, I really liked the fact that they they showed him throwing the bomb, but it didn't work. Yes. Um, and Oxford then, bats it out, or isn't it Harry? Yeah, Harry young bats Oxford, out Oxford, young Oxford Jr. bats yeah. it off with a with a uh, umbrella. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, I really like the fact that they they had this little scene where. He goes down a road, gets lost, and it's it all works really well mm. within within. Yeah, it's recreating it really nicely, and it, he's just sat outside that cafe, and he, he sees him pass. Yeah, the bits where it replicated real events reminded me like Forrest Gump. You know where they're like inserted yeah, into history. Reminded me of that, um, like mm. like the bit where Kitchener gets blown up, like that, um, and drowned. Yes, that that's very me interesting of that too. Yeah, um, yeah. But my my uh, my final pick is Fine's um, eighteen ninety seven pattern uh, uh, officer's infantry sword. Infantry yes, officer that's sword. nice. That's nice. Yeah, that gets a lot of love in, at mm. the end of the film, which is really nice. We also get a tiny little cutaway where he's fighting. Um, I forget the battle. I read what battle it's meant to represent. Um, but there's a little cutaway where he's a red coat. Yes, um, in the the, um, the Sudanese campaign. That's it. Yeah, that's a nice little cutaway. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, I'd like to have seen that movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that I mean, the alley tally for this week was really good. Before we move on um, to favourite scenes, I want to do the one word reviews, if that's okay. What's everyone had to say this week? Yeah, I mean, there were some interesting ones. A lot of people were saying how they couldn't get on with it. It was fictitious or hard to follow. Um, so I've got to pick three out. So as I said there, um, David McNay said fictitious. Uh, Hugo Drax said fun with a, with a with an exclamation mark. And our friend Rich Fisher of the, of the Vickers Machine Gun uh, um, Research and Association Society, uh, he says marvelish, which I sort of agree with there. Yeah, there's a twinge mm, to it, isn't there? Yeah, twinge to it. We had um, Stephen Cobden, a, f- a friend of mine from my reenactment days. He said um, my, the word I'd like to use isn't printable. Which I thought was quite funny. You must have seen the gas masks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People couldn't work out where they landed, and I think I'll mention it more as we go along. Um, so yeah, we're on to favourite scenes. Hello there. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. 
So my favorite scene is the the final confrontation with Morton or the Shepherd. It's a classic sword fight. It's set in in what can only be described as an alpine barn, yes. which is features as his headquarters. God knows how this man has managed to do all of this <laughs> yeah. from an alpine barn on yeah. what is the least accessible plateau <laughs> Mountain ever. <in> the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so there's a brilliant uh, bit of a sword fight, and Morton's prowess with the sword is is sort of established with uh, a fencing lesson that he has with with someone. There's a bit of sparring. Um, mm. Uh, which concludes with with him shooting um, the chap with a, a built-in uh, pistol, oh, which is yeah. in his sword, uh, which yeah. is quite cool. Um, cool. Definitely historical precedence for that. Okay. Um, but I really liked it because it, it was like a little bit of... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hark back to swashbucklers of old. Mm. I, I thought that was really fun. And there was a new twist on it. We get some, what you could, I suppose, call sword eye view. Like they've strapped a GoPro yes, to the sword. that was swords, nice. That was nice. Which I really liked. I mean, yeah. it's a gimmick and a, a little bit, mm, but it, I actually quite liked it. I thought it worked quite well because they yeah, didn't overuse it. Mm. Um, this, there's some really good cinematography in this throughout, actually. There's some interesting cinematography and editing choices mm. but mm. i hear dissent in your mm, so we'll come back to that <laughs> I'll, let, I'll, I'll explain i'll explain all right but i like that whole scene so it begins with the confrontation um the assault on the mountain's good fun um yes it is that is a it begins bit. with with uh oxford finds cutting himself free from his biplane's wing which he's <laughs> yeah. somehow managed to fall through it all goes to shit doesn't it for him? it does yeah. it does um and then he parachutes down, but he misses the mountain um, and he has to parkour uh, like the goats, the mountain mm-hmm. goats up the, up the, um, the sheer cliff. Yep. And, and then he has a, a, a face off with a rather large chap who is the lift operator, um, throws all his knives at him, runs him through with his sword. Yeah. Um, it's that like a, unkillable giant man trope that we get in yeah, some movies. That, that, yeah, it is exactly yeah. that. Um, and then uh, Polly's dropping chaps with her uh, sniper scoped aimbot. P40. Polly, <laughs> she's absolutely like pinpoint. Yeah, I know. Weird though is like she's in a cheese shed and she gets <laughs> yeah. absolutely covered in cheese. I'm like, yeah, it's funny. Why it? are you doing this to this really cool character? Like <laughs> yeah. at the end of the film, like she's on the phone to him, like, yeah, I've got the tape, which is um, a bit of context. That tape is like fucking like what? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll come back to, yeah. to that in a moment. But a yeah. bit of context is it has uh, Mata Hari doing um, 
sex acts to the uh, President Wilson. President Wilson, yeah. It's bizarre. Um, um, And she's on the phone. She's absolutely covered in cheese. Like, it's just (laughs) very odd. There's a lot of odd things in this film, which I suppose are supposed to be funny, but I just, what? Because I didn't know what that was. I didn't realise that she was in a shed full of cheese until the second time I watched the film. Cream or like milk or something. Yeah. I was like, is she in a bar? Like, is it meant to be like a shepherd's barn full of milk or something? I was just like, what? So uh, that coincides with Ashola um, making his way to the, the lift and he, he rather spectacularly kills a number of chaps. He does. Is saved by Polly from a uh, Vickers machine gunning. Uh, yes, could have been absolutely is. riddled, but wasn't. And then he shoots up the mountain on the um, the lift counterweight, um, yeah, and counterweight um, for the for the lift, and and joins um, finds, and they see off the the remaining shepherds in quite a nicely choreographed little fight. Scene, I love actually. that bit. That bit's great. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, know, I agree with you. You said the other day when when we were talking about it before we recorded that you you could have you could have done with a little bit more. Of, of dispatching some of the, uh, mm. the shepherds, the underlings. I sort of wish we'd seen more of Fines be that character. That, Paris, yeah. Yeah, because his, his character arc is that he he was a fighter, then he didn't want to fight because his wife had been killed. He wanted to protect his son. And then by the end of the movie, because, spoiler alert, his son gets killed in the trenches, he now has to become that man he didn't want to become because yeah. to end a war, you might have to do some fighting sort of mm-hmm. arc. Um and I just wish we'd had more of Fines be the King's Mini sort of super sleuthy spy um, because he's really good at it. And I just wish I'd had a he little is. bit more. Um, I, I would happily see another um, Fines-centred uh, yeah. prequel-esque yeah. film. Um, but yeah, so they they take on the last of the shepherd henchmen and then they confront him and he, he lets rip with a with an aerial Lewis gun. Yeah, that's beautiful. Followed yeah. up by an artillery PO8 Luger, with, <laughs> yeah. complete with snail magazine. Good, it? Um, and then finally, it all evolves down to, and of course, um, finds lets rip with that nice uh, 1912 style as well. Mm. Um, and it all it all comes down to a really nicely choreographed um, sword fight. And um, eventually, uh, Morton is gotten the better of by a, a goat. Yep. And um, who pierces his leg with its horn because he's not very nice to the goats, although he is a shepherd, apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, and then. Well, that whole having your leg hurt is like a weird MacGuffin throughout the whole movie. It is. It? Yeah. It's, it's it's just it like kind a, of mirrors what happens uh, to Oxford suffering from, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then he does the same to the big chap with his sword, but it means nothing. He does. It's yeah. That's right. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. And then uh, Morton ends up going over the cliff, and it's just a, just a good sword fight, really. That that was my favorite scene. the The ending isn't part of it; it's kind of the the separate little post bit to the sword fight. But the sword fight was my favorite bit. Yeah, it's the only time in a movie I think you'll ever see someone get killed by a VC medal. Yeah, because <laughs> he uses his yeah. son's VC. Because Ox, this is where the movie starts to get a bit madcap. Is he sharp that? Is he, yeah, is he literally like? Because he's holding <laughs> on to like a scarf or a bit of ribbon or something. He's like, "You won't let me fall. Like, you can't let me fall. Like, it's not in your nature. You're a pacifist. You're a pacifist." Yeah. And he goes, "No, I'm going to become the bad my son. What I want me to be." And then he like cuts the ribbon with the VC corner, and it's yeah. all a little bit symbolic and i, I was thought like, the whole vc thing was a little bit forced i've got to be honest because yeah, so we know that finds his character oxford is a vc winner because he just himself. pulls this out yeah um so the background to his character is that he's been in the sedan 
mm. um, during the, the um, I guess, a punitive campaign to against the Mahdi. Yeah, and there's a first-person view uh, of him fighting some Mahdists. It turns out, well, I was awarded the the BC, and I should have been I, I should have been awarded the BC for saving lives. Um, well, that's not how the VC mm, works. I'm afraid that's not really how it works. Not really. Afraid, yeah. Yeah. Um, not not until World War One, anyway. Mm. But I thought I did think that that scene was a little bit forced because it removed some of the weight away. Yeah, it did from his wife's death. So we might as well talk about it now while we're on on, on par, and then we'll circle yeah. back to your favorite scene. It's fine. Right? It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but. Um, the film opens where they're in South Africa. It's during the Boer War. Ostensibly, they're members of the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. They're traveling as a family for some reason. <laughs> yeah, siphoning it in a war zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, to a concentration camp, which I, opening the film with that struck me as oh, wow. Okay, um, because I can't think of many or any films that have, have no, tried to approach the the British really? use of concentration camps in the Boer War um, in their original sense of the word yeah. um, but she's killed by a Boer sniper who is trying to kill Kitchener which is yeah. where we first meet Charles Dance you in hell Kitchener <laughs> yeah like that one little war yeah. line I thought it was brilliant <laughs> and, and then and then he's, he's he has a very very visceral death she makes him promise never to let comrades see war again and that's very powerful. Throwing in the the VC bit where he's um, he he comes to terms with I I don't I suppose really it it doesn't subtract from it too much because it's more explaining how he come to work for the Red Cross. Yeah, yeah. So after the because there's only like two years between the end mm. of the Sudan campaign and the Boer War, so he's obviously had that experience. Won his Victoria Cross, and then decided I'm not going to be a soldier. Yeah, I'm going to work humanitarian aid, etc joins the red cross i suppose it it adds a little bit there but i, I thought in general that the, the fact that his son was then awarded a victoria cross and then it became a MacGuffin at the end where he cuts the the scarf just a little bit forced just a bit yeah but and then, and then the whole so he reads that wilfred owen poem he reads it like he's written it which i thought was really weird <laughs> Yes, that is a bit weird. Yeah, it, it you know it, it. Surely you could just be like, and as the great said, you know, I'd just be like, okay, I just thought that was a bit forced as well. It sort of it was like that war movie trope of World War One, so we've got to have poems. Well, let's talk about your favourite scene, and then we'll come back to some of these elements. We'll wrap it up in our final thoughts. It'll make sense. So my favourite scene is one of the King's mini elements of the movie that I enjoyed because. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, people know that church fight um, from the first movie of Colin Firth. And that's what that, that sort blew of, my mind when I first yeah, saw that. That for fast edit, zoom in, beautiful choreographed fight sequence is what the movies are known for. And there's a fight with Rasputin, um, which I never thought I'd say <laughs> the sentence of, <laughs> or thought I'd even see Ray Fiennes fighting, fighting um, Gregory Rasputin. Um, so they've worked out by this point in the film that, that um, Rasputin is one of the shepherd's lieutenants uh, lieutenants, and he's going to force the Tsar to leave the, leave the war. Um, and, 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 you know, so the ger- full German army can, can take on the British empire. Yeah. 
he's sort of got the SAR under his control with with uh, opium, um, and he's this. That was, of, that was that was another what the fuck. Yeah, moment. I was like, what? Okay, but then where, they, the, where the kneeling at Rasputin's yeah. feet, trying to trying to suckle at the opium cross that he's dripping opium into their mouths from, um, and then Rasputin sort of presented as this. He's either a vampire, he's either a sex maniac, or he's all free, or he's a nut. I mean, to be fair, like, that, that fits in with the representations of, of Rasputin over yeah. the years, doesn't it? And there's this great, really weird scene but that sort of leads up to the fight where they know if they take out Rasputin, then they can, you know, convince the Tsar to stay in the war. So yeah. they're going to poison the poison him with this almond... Um, with a Bakewell, Bakewell tart. Bakewell tart laced with... Um, Oh, with the world's hardest crust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Jesus when Christ. He, when yeah. he breaks that, okay, it sounds like he's breaking a piece of plywood. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> so, but first of all, like, um, Fines has got this wounded leg, and Rasputin's like, "Oh, I'll fix your leg for you. Come, come see me." From, later. from the sniper scene earlier in, in yeah, during the board yeah. war, he's shot in the leg. It's really weird. It's really hard to explain. Oh it. my god! I mean, well, it's it's all set up. Whereas, like, well, he loves almonds. Yeah. No, no, it's no, it's he loves cake. <laughs> yeah. And like, what? And, you know and your boys. <laughs> and then, and then, what is like the least Edwardian thing in the world is that he tends like tends to his son and goes well you're going to be dessert then <laughs> yeah. or something That's along like, those lines yeah but he's, he's giving it the whole sort of like let the blood flow and i will fix your leg for you oh it's so it's so homoerotic it's insane i think it's meant to be isn't it um and it is it got, is like, Ralph quite clearly like, moaning and stuff it's very funny like it's very funny written it's it's um, like it's very wow yeah. yeah and then you get like so reese effin sort of does a thing where he's like talking in tongues like, blah, 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 blah. And he's giving it the whole sort of like <laughs> trying to fix the wound but he does fix the wound so you're like he does, yeah. Who the fuck is this bloke? <laughs> like, he can just do random shit. That well, that's one of the things that he was said to have been capable of. He was supposed to be very mystic in those respects. But why Why would you, if you suspected that he was trying to kill you with a or cyanide-laden mm. uh, Bakewell tart, would, would you then carry on healing yeah, I know. his leg? I think he's just trying to prove his power, isn't he? Before um, projectile yeah. vomiting. Yeah, like, yeah. Sorry, your <laughs> British cooking did not agree with me. You know, like it's very funny. Reese Evans is stealing the scene. He's fantastic. He really, really great. So to cut a long story short, they have this beautifully choreographed fight scene where Rasputin is doing like Gregorian dancing, Russian dancing, but yeah, fighting ballet, them, ballet like fighting, and they're trying to fight him off. And it reminds me of that church sequence. Um, and in the end. Polly shoots Rasputin in the head um, like she did earlier in the movie where she's like, oh, people fat with bullets now. They don't fat with swords. <laughs> yeah, she's got really, <laughs> she's doing an accent, but she's she just speaks in like one-liners a little bit for me. Yeah, um, which is yeah. a shame. She's not the most evolved character. She think, does have some good scenes yeah. with, with uh, Fines when, um, when Conrad's mm. died. She's brilliant in it, but she's just, she she's not used enough for me. Um, but then hopefully I think maybe we get another film where these characters will get used more. But no, Certainly that, set up that way at the I end. I would watch but, yeah. the movie just for that um, Rasputin sequence. But then after that, I felt the film sort of dragged a bit. So mm. I think we should probably talk about our final thoughts and how we felt about the movie as a well. whole. I don't know where I stand with this one because mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's a great Kingsman movie. 
because it's doing an origin story, but I don't think there's enough Kingsman elements in it until the very, very end. Well, they have the shop, don't they, at the beginning? Yeah. Um, but it's just a shop at this point. It's just a tailor, you know. They have the shop, and then they introduce the network of... Um, staff. Uh, servants yeah. and staff that, that gather information throughout the film, which is a clever idea. I really like that. Yeah. Um, kind of at odds with the whole Kingsman side mm. of things, I mm. thought. Um, it's like it's what it like grew grew out of, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely understandable. Um, and it works really well because it's a great idea, a great concept. Um, and it's easily something you could retcon into other films. From that, it's all the historical stuff thrown in. It's a really interesting take on was an evil, like Illuminati-esque type group, uh, you know, behind all of these actions that caused the war. Oh no, it's yeah. just, it's this Scottish nationalist who wants to punish England. <laughs> And I'm like, I was like, oh, is it now? You know, I was like, okay, movie, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, you know, stick with you for this. Um, but then by the time you've got to all that, so much has happened that the reveal of the shepherd being Morton, more Captain Morton, is just lackluster. He's aide de camp yeah. to Kitchener, right? Yeah. How for the first three years of the war was he popping back from Britain to the Alpine? Shed. Uh, Kitchener, I've just got to pop out for milk again. <laughs> it's just like, Could you possibly what? sign this this 18-day chit for me, Lord Kitchener? I need to pop back to the mainland of Europe and, and plot how I'm going to prolong the war. I'd like a 48-hour pass again, please. <laughs> you know, it's just like okay. Charles dances there like you had a 48-hour pass <laughs> yesterday. What, what yeah. are you doing with these 48 passes? I've not seen you for months. Where have you been? Do you do any work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the issue is for me that with that whole thing, I think it dragged the movie down a little bit for me. There's so much at work trying to make the history work with like the Zimmerman, Zimmerman telegram, the, yeah. the trench bit, the spy element of it. That everything is needs to lead up to the the reveal of the villain, and then when we get it, it's just a bit lackluster. Because I thought it was going to well, be it, like David Tennant or someone. Like yes, someone I thought it was going to be someone know, we hadn't seen. You know, yeah, or like set up rather a, than it be Morton. Yeah, I think it became obvious to me that it was going to be Morton on board HMS uh, Hampshire, mm-hmm. where he bring you know he brings in the dispatch box. Oh yeah, I I, I don't know whether generals have like 10 downing street red dispatch boxes i'll be honest anyway so he's in the dispatch box yeah Yeah. and and i thought oh oh it's going to be a bomb morton's the baddie or he's a henchman and that's going to be the bomb and it wasn't didn't strike a mine wasn't torpedoed it was a bomb um but no it it, the 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 ship's torpedoed because it's later shown that morton jumps overboard and swims to the um Fuck knows how um, we did that. Let's just get let's just yeah, get that in, out of the in way. In the Baltic, yeah. We just like, teleport Christ, into a North fucking Atlantic. new boat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, okay. But it's a nice little scene. And it's it's yeah. um it's you know the, the CGI is not bad. Its sense of scale is fantastic. Like I think yeah, it, it is, it's fun. It really um, does that, but it, I just couldn't get my brain over like so also oh, he's the shepherd now. And then you've got all these lieutenants that are meant to be these big bads, but they don't really do yeah. much. The only one that gets developed in any sort of way. Is Brawl's character, but not really because he's just the right hand man to the the Kaiser, and he just he yes. just you know leaks it, says a few things to the in the Kaiser's ear to influence him. And then you've got Rasputin, yeah. but I thought the movie would be 
a little bit like a video game where you've got to go for the weaker lieutenants first, then you build up to the uh, all the boss levels, all the yeah. boss levels before you get to the main end mission. That's what I thought he was going to do. He kind of does that with Marta Hari where he meets her in the, the US Embassy. But you know, maybe he could have just gone into Not a little really bit though. more, you know. Yeah. And then the first World War bits in the middle are on reflection can feel a little bit tacked on just so that just so that Harry Dickinson's got something to do in the middle. I don't I didn't really enjoy them. There's one bit that stood out for me was the transition from fields to uh desolate wasteland that of the Western brilliant. Front, which yeah. stood out really nicely. I like the way that, that it, they tried to represent how the landscape evolved yeah. and was churned and completely destroyed by war. Yeah. But pre- the precursor to that where the chaps are in a trench fixing bayonets and it's supposed to be 1914. Again, I'm sorry, but 1914, they weren't digging trenches like that. They weren't, it, it wasn't like that. It was open warfare. It wasn't yeah. until the winter of 1914 that trench mm. warfare began to evolve. It's like a, it's just like and a cliche version. It's of ticking course. off that World War One trope, isn't it? It's it's what people recognize. So they're yeah. going to go, oh, it's World War One. They climb out the trench and then it's choreographed in almost like a dance. Sort of a waltz style. Exactly. And they're shot down by an unseen machine gun and they all drop and the attack is futile. Mm. And it's, it's oh, look, the British Army is attacking in a stupid way. Mm-hmm. It, yes, okay. Yeah. Instances of that happen, but it's a little bit on the nose, I thought. But I did like that transition yeah. and the the rendered, the CGI of, of the landscape changing. I thought that was was very good. Um, and the accuracy of, of the, uh, the uniforms in the later trench scenes wasn't bad. I think you're going to enjoy this movie more if you can just suspend disbelief. The Zimmerman telegram thing is really just a MacGuffin, just so Rafe finds has an excuse to go and meet the big bad. Yes. If you can just, if you can get over all the main MacGuffin plot points to get you to the end, it's an enjoyable movie that uses the First World War as a backdrop. But whether I thought it was a good Kingsman film or a good, good Kingsman prequel, it isn't personally what I was expecting because I think the spy element of the movies leans itself in more to a Second World War SOE espionage type, you know, early 50s Cold War type thing. There's, there's so yeah, many yeah. ways you could go with this. It was a bit all over the shop, trying to be everything to everybody at times. Although if it wasn't Kingsman, if it didn't say Kingsman on, the, you know, on the billing, if it just said like, I don't know, Rafe finds <laughs> like this is an alternate First World War or like an adventure type deal, then I would have got on with it. But because it was presenting itself as a Kingsman movie, it just didn't work for me 100%. I guess I'm not that invested in the franchise as a whole. I enjoy them, but I'm not mm. not an expert in it. I haven't watched them a dozen times. I was just looking forward to seeing where they went because I really I, I like Paran Edgerton. Yeah. I, I like the concept. I think there's a lot of longevity in it if they get it right. Well, it's it's a it's a universe that could absolutely grow. I, yeah. I just think, yeah, some of it was a little bit tacked on. President Wilson being seduced line was a was, was a, I cannot, I know was a what the fuck moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even at the end, they get like a, a sly dig in at the Treaty of Versailles where um, mm. Fine says, I think it's going to cause more problems than it solves. Too loose. It's not going to solve anything. I'm like, yeah. you wouldn't have any fucking idea. Yeah. Hindsight being forced in there a little bit, perhaps. I mean, and there were people at the time that said it was too too much. but mm. And then they're saying like it's a non-government thing with the kings in the room. <laughs> Which I thought was I know, funny. That, yeah, that that was so weird. Like in the first two films, it's set up as oh, we're, we're an independent body away from world leaders. We act independently for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> fucking, fucking King George is sat yeah. sat in there. He's getting a little Arthurian um, name tag and, and stuff. It's bizarre. Very weird. Very weird ending. 
don't think about it too hard. It, it does work. Um, but the more you sort of think about it, I, I just thought it was just a bit very six out of ten, very mid. Okay, that's fair. I thought there was some interesting aspects to it. So I thought this isn't a positive or a negative. It's just an observation. But I thought it was really interesting that there was quite a lot of commentary on Empire in there. Yeah, there was a bit. Yeah. So it opens, as we mentioned, with that scene in the concentration camp. And, you know, there's a rumination of, of whether Empire is a force for good or not, which in this movie's opinion, it's clearly not because uh, Fiennes has, a, has a, a monologue where he says, our ancestors were terrible people, robbed, pillaged, while calling themselves noblemen. And then it, it shoehorns in a reference to Oxford's, not rogues, from the earlier films. And he says, we're Oxford's, not rogues. Yeah, and yeah. There's a lot in, in the film where, especially in that uh, little flashback to the, the Sudanese campaign where he talks about, I realised I was an instrument of empire and I was mm. I was killing these men who were just trying to protect their homeland. Well, it's a very, it's, it's this revisionist way of looking at empire now that it's, it's quite, which is just a thing now, isn't it? It's not, I'm not it trying is, to say quite, it's that is, that is the understanding of empire. Yeah, of course. It, as you say, the historiography around empire has evolved and mm. we've looked at it from a... Um, a wider view in the post-colonial yeah. context but i just thought it was interesting that they decided to include so much of that in there and <laughs> you write down to morton's um scottish independence vibe and he's, he he rails against tom hollander's uh, king george character he's like and i especially hate him because of what he represents that the english monarchy has done to our to my homeland mm. and for his motivations to be what they are uh, mm. but but like but not having present anything higher and then for at the end this is the this is the real big spoiler so brawl it's it's assumed that yes. brawl takes over the, the the shepherd role and i assume the shepherd <laughs> are going to be the po- yeah the post credit yeah, scene exactly. is, is quite something but i assume they're setting up shepherd to be like specter within the bond universe i think so, so like yeah you know if they do any more shepherd will be like you know the new big bads um so brawl's like saying to Lenin at this point, who's been bought in as a, as a yeah, as Lenin assassin. just comes in from stage right and is like, "Oh, hello." He's like, "Oh, <laughs> meet my new best new assassin. Meet this person who's going to come and like, oh, God. you know." And it's it's the same person you've just seen kill the Sars family with a with a fully automatic broom handle Mauser. Yeah, uh, a Snelfer. Yeah, yeah, and it's Adolf Hitler. So not only are you saying he's, he's <laughs> also he's also stood behind the Kaiser as he's abdicating. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, it's. A, he's portrayed as an awkward sort and he goes I'm Adolf Hitler and you're like oh for God's sake no oh okay so that's where we're going are we <laughs> it's like all right then fair enough yeah yeah you know, it's like if, that, if that's where if that's where Kingsman's going it's going to it's going to do that then it might be some interesting sequences because they're going to they're going to explain how they failed to stop Hitler how <laughs> yeah, they failed to gonna, kill Hitler how are they going to do that <laughs> one thing I will say and I've said it a few times now but I would recommend it because it's not it's not a badly made film I like the stylistic choices. I like the cinematic universe that it's trying to create. I appreciate some of the nods to history they attempted, and some yeah. of them were a bit forced, as we've said. Some of them worked. Yeah, it's fun because we don't usually get these alternative history takes. It, it fits well within our mantra of mm. in, into into our ballpark of yeah. um, conflict on film, fighting on film, alternate universe take on different take on, on the, the war first movie world genre. war. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting and. While it's not like my favourite Kingsman film, I enjoyed it. I, I have to say I did enjoy it. And I think it does rank better than the, the, the second of the franchise. For me, I'd say to round my thoughts out, for me, it's annoyingly competent. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. 
one thing I didn't mention is, did you notice um, how they shoehorned the statesman in? Did they? Yes. Oh, so, I didn't know. So in the scenes where they're in the Oval Office and um, President Wilson's panicking over the fact that he's been filmed being seduced by Marta Hari, he orders the, the butler to bring him a statesman. Oh. Well, Twice. Like, so like in the second movie where they say that there's a... Yeah, where they introduce the American Kingsman as the statesman shoehorn in the statesman as the drink that wilson liked yeah yeah i don't, I don't remember that i was probably wasn't paying too much attention it's, it's throwaway but I, it yeah. just the way he said it just stuck out to me because he says it twice in two scenes uh, um, just stood out. <laughs> but anyway back to back to the outro rob so that was uh the king's man it's nice to review a, a different take on uh the first world war uh stay tuned on the uh the social media accounts because we have some really interesting news um, that we'll be dropping soon so look out for that we do later in the month we're doing an episode with marcus hearn um, who is a hammer film historian and he'll be coming on to talk about yesterday's enemy so expect that in the next couple of weeks um, and we will catch you next week so stick with us um, at final film thanks for listening everyone thanks bye bye 